What's going on guys, I'm Nate, I'm Colin, and welcome back to Behind the Streams. So, uh, we know we haven't uploaded a podcast in a while, and uh, we're just trying to get back into the swing of things today, so we're going to take today's episode kind of chill, we're just going to be uh, the two of us talking about music, and then hopefully we can get back onto like a weekly uh, uploader. So uh, we each brought up a few talking points, and um, the we're just gonna read them to each other, and then just talk about it and see where we go. Uh, Colin, do you want to give one of yours first? Yeah. Um, each of us decided to bring in three different talking points, and we're just gonna discuss each of them briefly for around like fifteen minutes. So I'm going to start with one that I thought this was the one that made me think of the idea for this podcast. I was thinking about album covers and album art because I was looking through my CD collection and I was looking at all the sick covers there and thinking about like, wow, this cover is actually really perfect for this album. And I was thinking like, how much does album art actually have an effect on the listening experience? Like if there's a really good cover could you get more out of the album from that or does the cover not do well i mean i think a great album cover helps an album but also what makes an album cover great because i know we were talking about this a little bit before the podcast but you can have albums uh especially a a lot of older albums or uh mostly i'd say like 90s rap albums will just feature the artists and the name of the album maybe in like a cool outfit or a cool setting to just try to grab your attention and give you that information so that's one style. There's also the style of just making the album cover art. So some albums I think of are In the Airplane Over the Sea by Neutral Milk Hotel or Kid See Ghosts by Kanye West and Kid Cudi. Those album covers just both look like artwork. And there's really a lot of ways to go with album art, but I definitely think that having a bad cover is a big turnoff for me. I mean, it's the first thing you see. You see the cover before you even listen to the album. So. Yeah, and the cover can really uh, contribute to the world of the album as well. Yeah, Like in How to Be a Human Being by Glass Animals, the whole album is around the concept that every person on the cover is a song in the album. Oh, yeah. And without that cover, you couldn't really get that. Like, I would have had no idea that each per- each song in the album was about a person if they weren't on the cover. And also, like, there's a lot of different ways to do a cover. Like... You have to take an entire body of work that you've put years of your life into and sum that all up in a single image. Like, that is an impossible task. And that's why some artists just choose to put themselves on the cover. Trap story by Gucci Mane. (laughs) If you guys guys haven't seen, uh, look it up. Trap story by Gucci Mane has uh, the most thought put into an album cover I've ever seen. Beautifully it's really depicts, just genius. It is the world of the album. It is totally not his face photoshopped on Buzz Lightyear. That would be <laughs> ridiculous. But yeah, you're, you're honestly right. Like, it also goes down to effort, I feel like. Like, how much effort are you going to put into an album cover? And I know I prefer when an artist actually puts time and thought into it to make a good cover. Yeah, well, there's also some albums like 31520 by Childish Gambino. Like, Which has no... Art. There's no cover. There's no song names. It's all just put up for you to figure it out on your own. And yeah. that's also another interesting take. But like considering the reception that album got, yeah. I wouldn't really think it's a very like smart marketing choice to put like yeah, no well, cover. Uh, even again, that served its purpose because he wasn't really making that album for marketing. He was making it because he's 
doesn't want to, he's retiring Childish Gambino, he's only Donald Glover. So even that album art served its purpose, even if it wasn't very popular for like commercial reasons, which makes sense because it was just white. Yeah. There's nothing there. I'd feel like for me, the criteria of having a good album cover would be color is very important. Yeah, definitely. You want to have the colors of the album like perfectly or not like perfectly, but you want to have them like represent the album in the way the album feels to you. It's all about color psychology. Like um, with um, Kidsy Ghost. Kidsy Ghost has the red, the anger and angst of the mental illness, as well as the blue, the sads. And you could also take the red as the high points of it. Uh, Miss Reed, our English teacher, if you're listening to this podcast, just know we're using your notes about color psychology. So <laughs> we won't go too you. into depth on that, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a thing. Color's definitely a thing. Mm. I think if you're gonna include yourself in the cover, you should definitely have like some sort of interesting pose or facial expression. Yeah, just something memorable. Like because the internet. Yeah, because the internet, which was just so simple, but really like the face of like boredom, but also anger and at the world just all but all it was was his face and that really sums up the whole album and that's such a complex album too so to sum it up all in like the most simple way possible it's really cool yeah the album art i'd say like it definitely does have an effect on the listening experience like it's not like a book cover the words don't speak for themselves they the cover also contributes to an album so there's definitely a lot of ways to go but i feel like at the end of the day just putting thought and time into it and making a good album art definitely will enhance the listening experience for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same here. So um, my first point for you is one that I know we've talked about before. And even though I know that on this podcast, we've talked about how we're not huge fans of the idea of rating an album zero through 10. And that that's just a small scale. And it's so hard to do. But a lot of people do it, and it's very popular, so we're going to talk about it. What makes an album a perfect 10 out of 10 for you? For me, I'd say, first off, it's the music. If you're considering an album, you don't think of the story or the artist yeah. first. You think of the music and the body of work it actually is. If an album isn't like perfect sonically, like I would, I would not change a single thing about it. I enjoy the entire album front to back. I think that's like the very first thing. It's not a yeah, 10. You have to like the music. You have to like the music. And then after that, if it's just music, like it's just a compilation of songs, like basically any trap album, mm-hmm. then you leave it at that. That's a 10. But I feel like if you want a really perfect 10 out of 10, there should be more substance to yeah, it. Yeah, talking about with like a trap album too, especially one that is really just a lot of songs in a row. Like if all of the songs are good, then like, yeah, I like all of the songs in this album. This is a really good album. But to call it a 10 out of 10, like a 10 out of 10 trap album is very different from other things. So you kind of have to compare it to the stuff around it. I'm going to be real. I don't think there's ever been a 10 out of 10 trap <laughs> well, yeah, album. Yeah, on the scale of everything, it's hard to stack up just because the it's less like introspective, more about just making music that sounds good or like party music or something to listen to with your friends. So yeah, it's harder, I feel like, too. Yeah, you can't really compare stuff like Astro World or Love is Rage 2 to stuff like In the Aeroplane Over the Sea Yeah, or Inner Visions by Stevie Wonder. Well, yeah, that makes sense. And then for me, I'd say, I, I, you know I'm a lot more picky about this, but for a 10 out of 10, there are two numbers you have in there, 10 and 10. There's no space between those two numbers, so there should be nothing in that album that I should change or want differently. A 10 out of 10 is perfect from front to back. Every single aspect of the album is perfect. It's a 10 out of 10. And that goes back to why I don't like that scale because 
there's probably two, maybe three albums I've ever listened to that fit that. But at least that's the way I see it, that a 10 out of 10 should really be perfection in music form. Yeah, uh, you said you're more picky about this, but you still have way more 10s that you've ever heard. I'd say there's literally only one 10 I've ever heard wow. before. And that's Swimming by Mac Miller. I loved like the context of the album when he made it. There's a slight story to it, but most of it's just me guessing. I don't think there's an actual story to it. And literally I mean, every you, single second. If you feel of like that there's album, a story, there's, there's a story to There's you. not a story, but I don't think a 10 really needs a story, to be honest. It's more about like the context and the artist that made it. Yeah, and also it's down to you. Like, not every person's gonna have the same 10 out of 10. So like if th that album is perfect in your mind, that makes it a 10 out of 10. That doesn't mean that like every single person agrees that it's perfect. Yeah, and leading on to another point that we'll probably talk about later, or we could go on. Well, I think now. we can talk about it now. I've said all I want to say about 10 out of 10. Yeah, same. So it, how it can't really change anything in your mind. There's another thing I was, I've been thinking about recently is like music reviews online. They like affect the listening experience yeah. just a little oh, yeah. bit, right? Because we, say... look, we look on things like Instagram or Pitchfork or Anthony Fantano's YouTube <laughs> channel. We look on stuff like that and we see these music reviews for albums that either we've heard before or we haven't heard before. And that can definitely have an effect on our opinions of the album. I absolutely agree with that. And it there are some albums I've listened to that just don't have a huge online presence or... I just don't see a lot talked about. And those are sometimes my best listening if I haven't been affected by people on the internet before. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But or, then yeah. there are, like there is a small group of artists who I feel like have just been placed in certain categories, especially by hip hop fans on Instagram and Twitter. I feel like it's this world where like J. Cole is bad and you, you have to hate NBA young boy. But then on the other side, Joey Badass, Kendrick Lamar, Kanye West, and Denzel Curry are perfect, and you have to like them. And I'm not saying I necessarily disagree with that, but it's just really hard to find different opinions and thoughts about music you've listened to when a lot of people are repeating the same thing over and over again. It just gets drilled into your head. Yeah, and I especially love it when you find that album that like nobody really talks about that much online, and you can really have the unique album listening experience of that. Something that comes to mind is The Lost Boy by Corday. Oh, yeah. When I listened to that album, I hadn't seen anything online about it. I also, uh, I listened to that album a while ago, so I wasn't really, like, looking at, like, people with music opinions online that much outside of just, like, Pitchfork reviews. But, yeah, that was great when I listened to that. Yeah, like, time. honestly, I feel like something that our generation lost when we got the, like, the age of streaming and the internet came in and that was much more prominent Something we lost there was the really unique listening experiences for each and every album that mm -hmm. we'd hear. Like, obviously, it's easier to find new music now and discover new artists left and right. But it's also harder in a way to, like, form your own opinions if you're constantly seeing stuff about Radiohead or Outkast yeah. or Kendrick Lamar yeah, online. Yeah, yeah. So I think the internet and, like, album reviews... They do serve their purpose. If you don't know what an album's going to be like, mm -hmm. definitely go check out something on Pitchfork, but I wouldn't let it affect your opinion too much. And I will say, because we've pretty much been hating this whole time, yes, there are situations like The Lost Boy by Corday or Headhunters by Herbie Hancock for me was another big one, or The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust by David Bowie, that it was better without internet opinions for that album. But I will say, we've been hating on it this whole uh 
this whole time we've just been hating on it, but I really think that there's a lot of good that's come out of it. I mean, pretty much a wide variety of opinions on any album ever made is just at our fingertips. All I have to search is, uh, I don't know, any album. Say I'm listening to Yeezus by Kanye West for the first time. I just search Yeezus reviews and I've instantly gone upon like hundreds and hundreds of people giving their opinions. And for all the bad that there is, it really is amazing that we have all of that just right in front of us. Yeah, it really is a double-edged sword. Like there's this whole community for lovers of Yeezus or lovers of The Lost Boy to really talk about their opinions on those albums. But there's also like, there's this malice to it where yeah. if you don't know the album or the artist, you can like automatically have convinced yourself like, oh, this album is bad or this album is really good without actually hearing it. Yeah, like, I guarantee most people have never heard a full Nav album, but they'll automatically hate <laughs> on Nav. I have not, I have not heard a full Nav album, I will admit. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just the internet force feeding you opinions. I mean, of course, guilty pleasures will always be a thing before the internet and well after it's gone, but I feel like it's really affecting how people go about approaching new music yeah. now. And I know we've talked about this a lot, but I want to bring in one other thing is that they're not always wrong. Like, for example, one album I always think of when I'm thinking about this or talking about this is Some Rap Songs by Earl Sweatshirt, I think is an amazing album. That's a really great album. But, like, the hip-hop and Earl Sweatshirt fan community online, whether it be on Reddit or Twitter or Instagram or anywhere, has just, like, put that album up on a pedestal to the point where it's difficult to say you like it because people group you in with that. And... I'm not saying that it's like hard to live in this world as a some rap songs fan. <laughs> I'm just saying that it's like that that's the problem because they're right. That's a great album. But the way people go about it, like raising it up, just almost like twists people's minds into thinking they have to love that album. Yeah, exactly. And I guess that leads a little bit into my next point. I mean, it doesn't at all, but we have to segue them somehow. Um, so... What is, say you're going to listen to a brand new album for the first time, you know nothing about it. What's your ideal setting? Where do you want to be? How do you want to listen to it? Well, I would say the way I'd want to listen to it is if I'd never heard of it before. Yeah. Like, if it's, it's a wholly unique experience. I have nothing to go off of it other than what I know about the artist, what do I know about any songs I've heard beforehand, or maybe looking at the album art. And I'd really enjoy it, like, if I didn't know much about the album, like, for example, Big Fish Theory by Vince Staples. The only song I knew about him before was some random single he released in 2018 that I'd heard. And Nate told me to listen to it. And I genuinely think that's one of the best first album listenings I've ever had. Because A, I went in without knowing what to expect. And it really surprised me with that. And then also, I think the atmosphere there too. Like, I think I've told you about this before. When I first listened to Big Fish Theory, I was walking my dog outside. So right before I was about to storm, the sky was like oh, literally yeah, yeah, purple. I couldn't see anything. It was all black. The only thing that was really visible to me was stuff that was lit up by streetlights. And that like ominous nature of the, my surroundings really helped to emphasize the so sounds of the album. Yeah, I actually had a listen similar to that recently. Just the idea of knowing nothing about it. Um, the album I listened to was Velvet Portraits by Terrace Martin. Uh, I knew Terrace Martin because he has collaborated with artists I listen to, like Kamasi Washington and Kendrick Lamar. I knew he was one of the best modern jazz musicians, but I'd never listened to his solo music, and I'd seen 
nothing about him other than he played saxophone on For Free Interlude on To Pimp a Butterfly. He did? Yeah. That's cool. I know. So I listened to the album and I was like, wow, this is amazing. It perfectly combined his saxophone playing and beat making abilities. And I was like, wow, this is just a great album. And I'm really happy to just go into this knowing nothing and coming out feeling like I know a lot more about Terrace Martin. And I'm definitely looking into his discography more soon. And the atmosphere definitely helps too. I know personally, I love to listen to albums late at night, but not too late. So I don't fall asleep halfway through around like 11 o'clock midnight time, just put in my headphones, put on the album and just lay down in my bed with my eyes shut and listen front to back. And then when I'm done, I'll usually go back and re-listen to another song or two that I liked or I wasn't sure about. And I don't know if that's like the objective best way to listen to an album, but I just love listening to albums that way. That's always how I've done it too. Um, there's three ways that I normally listen to albums is when I'm going on a walk with my dog. I I have like two routes that I normally go. One takes about 30 minutes, so that's for shorter albums. Yeah. And then the other's for an hour. So sometimes I'll go out and I'll listen to an album while I'm walking him. Or I'll be, it'll be like late at night, but like not too late. It'll be like 10 o'clock and I'll listen to an album while I'm playing Xbox. Or the third way is I will sit and I'll just listen to it like you. And I think I've had the best album listening experiences while I'm going on a walk. Because sometimes I feel like the surroundings can contribute to an album a lot. Yeah, definitely. Like what you're looking at. That happens to me a lot when I'm just listening to a song. Because I don't usually go out to listen to albums that much, but... Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Like, what you're looking at while you listen can help. And I hate, I honestly hate doing other things while I'm listening to an album, but I sometimes I can't help, but I always fall into getting distracted, especially if I'm not that engaged to the album. And I feel like that hurts the listening experience, but yeah, it definitely. just happens to me sometimes. Like, if I'm engaged in the album and I'm like, this is really good, I'll just sit there and do nothing. But sometimes I'll just fall into that trap of, like, turning on my phone and, like, scrolling through Instagram Literally the first time I listened to Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar, I heard it, but I did not hear it at all. Yeah, that used to happen. That used this used to happen to me all the time, but I don't really do it as much anymore, and I'm happy about that. Yeah, I put on this album that I heard such great things about. Like I heard it was a perfect ten, and it was such an amazing album. It was the album of the decade, and I listened to it while I was on a car ride, and I was on my phone. And the only song that I remember hearing from that was the intro, Wesley's Theory. Uh. After that, I just clocked out. I was on my phone the entire time. I listened to a whole album and did not remember a single song from it or a single sound from it. So when I listened to it a couple months later, it was literally like a whole new album to me. I'd never heard any of it or remembered hearing any of it. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. So I, I like to listen while I'm thinking about the music, but like also while I'm doing something else, like some monotonous task of staring out the window of a car ride or walking your dog. Because if you're just sitting yeah. there in the dark and it's not a very enjoyable album, you tend to get distracted a lot. Yeah, but if I'm going to listen to an enjoyable album, I don't want to be anywhere else than laying in my bed at night. Obviously, but, but you sometimes it's a risk. A, it's a risk. You pick an but album every it's... once in a while that isn't that good. <laughs> We've all run into that issue before. No, I've never listened to a bad album, personally. I only listen to good music. You only listen to good yep. music? Okay. <laughs> so, um... Are you you talked about everything you want to talk about with that? Yeah, point? I think I've said what I want to say. So for my last point, I would I had um I said I wanted to talk about album sequencing and like oh, do yeah. you think album sequencing is a dead art? Like 
are artists more inclined to drop a bunch of filler songs on an album like Scorpion by Drake and make millions upon millions of dollars, but not really have a long lasting effect on the music community or drop a masterpiece like Igor or To Pimp a Butterfly or something something yeah. else. I can't think of anything else. Because the internet. Because the internet, Which yes. literally has a script to go with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd say there are two ways to look at it. Are you trying to make a popular album or are you trying to make a classic, a masterpiece, something that'll be remembered forever? And in today's age where it's harder and harder, especially as an upcoming artist, to make money, it seems like popular is the way to go. You have to get the streams and the ticket sales and get your album paid for. But just because the popular landscape today is dominated by basically trap and then a little bit of vocal pop doesn't mean you can't make an album with a story. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's impossible to make. I'm not going to speak on like popular vocal pop of today because I don't listen to a lot of it, but I don't think it's impossible to make a trap album that where the order of the songs matters. I think Asteroid by Travis Scott isn't really a story and it doesn't really have like a narrative theme, but I think that the order of the songs in that album greatly affects how you feel while listening to it and what the vibe of it is. Yeah, I do think um, with album sequencing, it's very important to have a defined intro and a defined outro. Definitely, yeah. And some sort of flow of the vibe of the album. You can't have stuff like Sicko Mode going right before stuff that sounds like it's off of Blonde by Frank Ocean. Yeah. But then, like then again, is it really that hard to do that? You can do that. There's nothing stopping you from doing it. And if you're popular enough and you have enough good songs to get a lot of streams on your album, it won't really matter because you will make a lot of money off of that. I know I, I know, I talk about him all the time, but I can't help it. I mean, if you're Kanye West making My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, you've already built a huge following with the Education Trilogy and then 808s and Heartbreak. So you can afford to make a risky album like My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy that totally is nothing like you've ever made before and has doesn't really follow a story but has like themes and a narrative and is unapologetic and angry. And I mean, that obviously worked out for him. But especially when you have a huge following like that, I think it's a lot easier to put something out that's more of a story album. Yeah. And you brought up a really great point talking about intros and outros. I think at the very least, an album's intro should feel like an intro and the outro should feel like an outro. It shouldn't just be just another song. Even if everything in between is just songs put together, I really appreciate having something that feels like an intro and an outro. Definitely. I care about that so much in music. There's so many intros and outros to talk about. Like Some albums could be like front to back, just a bunch of nonsense. There is no narrative storyline to it or overall theme to it but there have been some really good intros and outros to albums like that like the album we reviewed recently time to pretend off of oracular yeah that didn't have like a story or anything it had no story the only thing we really had to go off of was the overall vibe of that album but i think the intro of that perfectly said yeah time to pretend definitely felt like an intro too it didn't just feel like another song i heard time to pretend and i was like yes this is the intro to Oracular Spectacular by MGMT. Uh, I'm also going to talk about this relating to jazz for a second because uh, I listen to a lot of jazz and this is definitely a lot more, not complicated, but a lot more varied when it comes to jazz because there are so many ways to go with that. You can just prove that you're a skilled player who can 
play like jazz music and improvise on the chord changes in front of you. And you could go the route of like people like Sonny Rollins, a tenor saxophone player who will just compile songs together. And he's an amazing tenor saxophone player, one of the best to ever do it. So it sounds great. Or Sonny Stitt, who plays alto and does the same thing. There's also the route of albums like A Love Supreme by John Coltrane uh, and The Black Saint and the Sinner Lady by Charles Mingus, which is one of my favorites, where these albums, even without words, kind of have a narrative idea from beginning to end just through the music that's being played. And in that, the order definitely matters, even though I'd say when it comes to jazz albums like that, having songs doesn't even matter. It's usually just a sequence of music all the way through. They split it up into songs for easier listening as an album or as a record. But those type of jazz albums where the order matters really just feel like one song all the way through. So that's very different than like hip hop or pop or rock, but it's just another way to look at the order of the songs and how much they matter. Yeah. So album sequencing, I'd say for me, I think even though the incentive is there because you can make a lot more money off of just throwing together a bunch of hits on an album and Mm -hmm. making a lot of money on that. I feel like I, as a music listener, I would definitely not want artists to go that route because I love hearing albums like once in a blue moon, experiences like to pimp a butterfly or my beautiful dark twisted fantasy or because the internet but i feel like if you're gonna go that route like the intro should definitely still be there i don't think the intro is going away anytime soon but the intro is extremely important to the listening experience of an album yeah and i also definitely prefer an album with a story or even where the order is important but At the end of the day, I don't think it's impossible to make a really good album that's just a lot of good songs put together. Uh, It's definitely not a dead art by any means, though. It's definitely not. Uh, We've been talking for a while, probably a little longer than we wanted to, so I'm just going to bring up my last point. There is a huge debate between electronic music and music played with real-life instruments. There are people who say that electronic music does not count the same and should be taken and held to a lower standard and to less regard. What's your opinion on that? I read about this sometime, like, I read about this in music class or something. Didn't they, like, burn disco records oh, at, a at the White Sox game? Yeah, that's that's been going on. Instruments. That's been going on for years. I feel like with the more and more prevalent use of synthesizers and artificially created yeah, and beats. And just digital of, music, like, using, like, upcoming artists making their music in Ableton Live or even, like, GarageBand. I feel like just for me, since that's been way more present in my life and when I've been listening to music a lot more, I don't mind it at all. In fact, I would almost say I prefer it just because I do tend to like gravitate yeah. towards electronic, electronic music. music. I, t- I don't love like pure electronic music, but anything with yeah. electronic influences is definitely like right down my alley. I'd say this debate is pretty much over in like modern rap or pop or even rock, I'd say. But this definitely still exists in the jazz world, so I'm going to talk about it there. And I will say I do not care that electronic jazz is just as real as jazz played with instruments. And to say it isn't is honestly just discrediting the whole form of the music. Uh, Albums like uh, Sungazer Volumes 1 and 2 by the band Sungazer or the Djaysay's Trilogy by Jacob Collier use electronic instruments. And the musicians in that band and Jacob Collier are just as intelligent as other jazz musicians, and I don't see a reason to hold them to a lower regard. 
Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's really all about self-expression too. I don't yeah. think we should be putting down artists or bands because of their yeah. use of like fake instruments. Like, it's not the it's not 1940 anymore. Yeah. Like, people are have access to materials to make these sounds, and if it's that's the way they choose to express themselves and their thoughts and ideas of the world, then by all means, go for it. If it sounds good, if it sounds bad, it should not really matter at the end of the day. Well, he said it better than I can say it, so I think that's a good way to wrap it up. Um, so thanks for coming in to listen to Behind the Streams today. We know this episode was just a lot of us talking, but we just wanted to chill out and talk about music to get back into the swing of making things. Uh, as always, you can follow our Instagram page. You can listen to the supplementary playlist on our Spotify. Anything else? Um, please let us know if you enjoyed this playlist or this podcast, because honestly, I was really fun to record. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. It was just us talking. So if you like things like this or don't like it, just let us know for the future. Hit us up on Instagram at WLTL Behind the Streams. Yep. Uh, as always, I'm Nate. I'm Colin. Thank you for listening to Behind the Streams.